I wouldn't talk to my best friend the way that I talk to myself. I, I wouldn't even talk to anyone that way. Work on the self-hate. Like that can be very overwhelming. Hey there, my name is Sean and this is Suicide Noted. On this podcast, I talk with suicide attempt survivors so that we can hear their stories. Every year around the world, millions of people try to take their own lives and we almost never talk about it. And when we do talk about it, many of us, including me, are not very good at it. So one of my goals with this podcast is to have more conversations and I hope better conversations with attempt survivors. I'm going to keep trying. Now, if you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to share your story, I'd love to talk. Please reach out. Hello at suicidenoted.com or on Facebook or Twitter at Suicide Noted. Of course, we are talking about suicide. This may not be a good fit for everyone. So please take that into account before you listen. But I do hope you listen because there is so much to learn. As always, thank you to all of our attempt survivors who have joined me here on this podcast since last July when we started, and to everybody who listens. I really appreciate it. Thanks. A friendly reminder, there's a couple of ways to help out. In addition to listening, you can let people know about the podcast, you can share it on social media, and if you'd like to make a financial contribution, whether that's a one-time or recurring, I'll put links in the show notes on how you can do that. We really appreciate it, and we could use a little help today. I am talking with Jules. Jules lives in Maryland, and she is a suicide attempt survivor. Hey, Jules. So, Jules, you live in Maryland. Do you like living there? Yeah, I've never lived anywhere else, so I do. I do, yeah. I mean, I would move later in life, like when my kids move, but they're all here, so. Right. It's so interesting because people, I think, sometimes struggle, like, oh, my God, how am I going to tell my whole story? For me, sometimes I'm like, man, where do I even begin? But lately I've found that I begin with this question. Somehow you found this podcast. Yeah. I'm glad you did. Me too. And then you did something that most people don't do, maybe because they're not attempt survivors or in your case, which we'll talk about, which is sort of like a space between. Oh, for whatever reasons, they don't reach out, which I get it. It's all good. But some people do. They're like, I think I got to talk about this. And you are one of those people. So you know where this, what this question is going to be. Why'd you reach out? Mainly because like the pain right now that I'm in is so great that I've been in recovery before. So like, I know what I need to do, the steps to like get better. I like the way that you talk to your guests and I really relate to almost every guest. And I'm like, yes, finally, like these are my people. I know it's hard to find them. So hard. So hard to find them. Like the great majority of the people just doesn't connect at all. I'm going to ask you a question that I'm not supposed to ask in your email to me you shared a lot of stuff. And one of them is that one of the things you shared, you've ideated for a long time. Since I was seven or eight, yeah. Over 30 years of ideating, which I'm sure takes its toll. Yeah. Ideating means you're thinking, I'm loosely defining this. And if a a therapist hears this, they might say, that's not actually the definition, but my definition is you're just thinking about it a lot. Yeah, it's um, every day, maybe like, a minimum of like, maybe like five to 10 times a day, maybe not 10, maybe like three to seven. My question really is like, why do you think you want to die or think so heavily about it where you're like, that's the thought, right? 
Yeah, I know that question has been running through my mind. I think just like I'm really educating myself again right now. I don't want to die necessarily, but it has now become such an unhealthy and untreated habit Mm. that it's honestly and truly like my comfort. It's like my escape plan. I always have to have an escape plan. 80% of the time, my ideations are not really, they're just like for fun in my mind. But now I'm like, okay, this really like, it's just not healthy. You need peace. And you had said that you, and when I say to the listeners, you had said, Jules emailed me. There were two, I guess we can call them almost attempts where you really planned a lot. Yeah, that's mainly my story is like a lot of planning. Yeah. So where do you want that story to start? I'll let you uh, dictate that. Uh Okay. Well, I think my story would start just briefly that I was adopted and I don't have any recollection, thank God, but I guess somewhere in my brain I do. So I was abandoned and abused. And then I got adopted and I wasn't abused at my home that, you know, my parents, my adopted parents, but there was a lot of abandonment. They just weren't around. My brother was very troubled and violent and you know so I just had to watch his behavior and I was just a ghost like in the sidelines like nobody ever checked in with me ever at that time I didn't really think well I did know it was difficult because I was always crying at school and then I would talk to God and be like please just take me back to heaven I mean that was mainly my dialogue then when I was little like just begging and pleading all the time and then when I had a journal or a diary I would write about it all the time. I don't even think I was scared if my mom saw it. It was maybe that was like my pre, you know, signs before I would, be, I would hurt myself, but nobody ever saw it and nobody ever checked in with me. So then it really set a tone and a, not a pattern, but it just set the tone of how I felt about myself. And that's yeah. your childhood. Yeah. No love. I mean, they, they were older and they did a lot of work of traveling. So honestly, I don't blame them today. They did the best that they knew they, you know, how to do, but Mm. they were so focused on my brother because of his outbursts and his he got in a lot of trouble and stuff but they never asked me how I was and that goes on for your whole childhood yeah so I just began to feel really sad all the time and I would cry a lot because I would just hear my brother and my dad my dad would spank him so much Mm. so then because I was abused it was like trauma to me like PTSD, but I didn't know that then. Kindergarten to like third grade, no, the teachers never asked me why I was always crying. I mean, I didn't want them to like actually embarrassed, but yeah, teachers have a tough job and they're juggling a lot. But man, there yeah. are certainly signs. <laughs> Let's say that there are signs that are often missed, right? Yeah, a lot of signs. What do you think you would want somebody at that age when you were kind of small? How would you want them to engage with you? Did you want someone to, to say like, Julie, how you doing? Why are you crying? <laughs> No, not then at all. I was just worried. Like my brother and I are only nine months apart. So I was just dived and obsessed into like what was going to happen when we got home. Like, would there be abuse? My dad wasn't abusive, but he was during my brother's childhood. And it was really out of control. And just, yeah. So I was just more worried about my brother. More, what was it going to be like when I came home from school, like off the bus? And as you're growing up and you're getting older into your teenage years and beyond, are you... You had said that you've been ideating on and off for over 30 years. So if my math is correct, you're you're ideating, right? Sometimes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. How is your life from the outside? And I don't like this word, but I don't have a better word. Is it kind of normal to the outside eye or are you would people say, nah, Julie's she's in trouble? No, not at all. I grew up in like a wealthy family. My parents were big in their business from the outside. in, we literally and truly had everything that you could ever want. Money was never an 
uh, it was just an access of endless complete selfish needs like they were my the needs were always met but like in a selfish way and from the outside in we were perfect like blonde hair blue eyed my parents were amazing but it wasn't so what goes on teenage 20s because i know that you said you have i think is it four or five kids i have five kids you you meet somebody at some point i know that i met like three people three men and had these amazing kids but like I just added like the drama, not drama, but just to the chaos of the life that I was already living. Like I just didn't know how to live properly to be amazing individuals. It was never taught. I rarely try to like equate anybody else's experience with my own, but that's how I feel. Like there's no reason why I shouldn't have been able to figure it out, but I just did basic shit, Julie. Like that is so fucking easy for people. They're like, dude, how do you not know how to do your taxes? I'm like, Oh. I mean, I, I thought that I don't know. I just kind of never. And then like, that's like a tiny example. You could, I, there's a hundred other examples. And I'm like, there's a school that people went to that I didn't go to where they learned things that I didn't learn. And I don't know why. I mean, like nothing of how to be an adult. I mean, I'm learning as I go, but it is very embarrassing still to this day. Yeah. And I'm at the point where I'm just like, well, because I guess like depression and stuff, I just like, I don't even care. Like come and get me. But I, I do care because I do learn. But I mean, every car I've had legit only last a year because I just don't know how to take care of it. But now the pain is so great because I don't have a car. This is my neighbor's car. I only learn when like my ass is on fire and like there's no other option but to like learn what to do. Did you ever in this time of growing up and even in your adulthood use the word depression? I don't know if that was an actual like diagnosis. Did you try to get help? That's kind of what led me to like my breakdown. but. I got labeled bipolar too because at the hospital, it's only because when I went in patient, they would just be like, oh yeah, you're bipolar. But I never related to that necessarily. I was kind of like, what the heck? I didn't feel like that was what was going on. I still don't, but I was just mm-hmm. like, okay, I need to learn how to, what happens when you're bipolar. Um, but my actual diagnosis now just doing so much like advocating for myself and reading is I have PMDD. So that is always what leads to my suicide my plans and my ideations. And um, I have borderline personality disorder. All right. Hang on one sec. What is PMDD? PMDD is like, it's not even that talked about. I mean, it is, but it's not. It's premenstrual dysphoric disorder. It's pretty debilitating for women. It's like on a spectrum. Like I don't, some people don't have it that bad. For me, every time I've gone to the hospital or I want to literally kill myself is when I'm in an episode of mm. PMDD. Mm. Yeah, and it's that, that, so- that points to like it's a chemical thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Wow. And, and I then- didn't until a couple of years ago. I was just like, what is wrong with me? And then I kind of just all put it together like last year. In a way, that must kind of feel good in a, in a way. Oh, absolutely. Because now I'm like, I listen to podcasts all the time and I'll just, you know, go on Instagram and just like reach out to the people that spoke. And I've collected like probably just two friends so far, but it is lifting me up and it's definitely no coincidence. So yeah, I love stalking people after i listen to a podcast and i will reach out so when you're diagnosed with bipolar you're saying nah i don't think so you're diagnosed with borderline it sounds like you're more on board with that so mm-hmm. what does that look like in your life because i've got a couple friends who have it and it's it's really a tricky one so sad and like it's horrible i'm now just learning a lot about it i mean just talking to my new friend i mean she's amazing she's on a couple podcasts i mean for me i didn't realize that and I haven't started to heal my inner child that was so neglected and hurt. 
that is something that I want to start doing in the future. But my husband, he, he got a job in New York city and this is kind of what set it off. And so he works there for two weeks out of the month and it's been going on three years, two years. And when he told me, I, I, my world just like collapsed, like you're leaving me. So, I mean, just people leaving me, I don't know how to function still. I mean, my behavior when gone is like erratic. Yeah. So it's just a fear of abandonment. I need to get involved in therapy, like to treat it. Like for now, I'm, I feel such relief that the borderline is like, I check every box and it can explain so much, but yet I know the severity of it too. Like that's kind of what's scaring me right now. And I know like if I keep quiet and I don't talk about my secrets and how I'm feeling and like, it's going to ultimately take me. Yeah. All right. So like you said, one of the reasons why you reached out is it's to take care of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's kind of cool because like I know there's somewhere in me that was free. I mean, at this state I'm in, especially with like when you get into that, like in your head and you get lost in your brain, it's hard to remember how you used to be happy. But like Mm. I know that it's there and it's like I'm clawing my way back out of this like pit I've been in. Well, I appreciate you joining me because I know there are people out here who hear this stuff. And I, they often don't reach out to me. Most don't, but I know they'll hear it and they'll be like, oh my God, I that love girl, that. that woman, Julian Maryland, I get, you know what I mean? So I want to get to those near attempts, however you define them, or maybe you define them as attempts. You get to make that. That's your yeah. decision. That's what I was like. I don't know if I qualify. Like I never, but your last guest, is that her name? Oh, uh, Shannon. Yeah. Oh my gosh. She was wild. I loved She's she wild. Have, I kind of related so much to her. Like she didn't actually attempt attempt but I from what I heard it was similar to me um and so I never took it anything serious that I was doing because I was like well I didn't actually go to the hospital and get revived or you know I'm not on suicide watch like I just I would just minimize everything and then when I was younger I, I mastered the art of what I call like blocking I don't know how I did it but I so I start blocking so if something traumatic happens I have zero memory of it so I would just go on the next day, like, do like everything's so awesome. And yeah. So in 2015, I had had already two divorces and I just couldn't adult or function. And I, I had four kids at this time. It's hard to remember the downfall, but I just remember it being really slow, like a slow, steady, like articulated plot of how I was going to just exit this world. And it became an obsession. Um, I, everyone could be in the back. I worked at a hair salon at the time. I mean, I still do. And they would be laughing and having fun. And I would be on my phone, like looking at different ways to die, like Mm. all the time. If somebody wronged me, I mean, I was just so self-centered, but, and I feel bad for that girl, but every little, you know, eye roll, or like if someone didn't talk to me when I walked in or anywhere, like I would be like, oh my gosh, I'm invisible. Nobody cares about me. It became like, it just became like polluting in my mind. So I just started being, I just started fantasizing and wanting to jump off this parking garage of where me and my kids would go all the time. And I was like, this is so like monumental. Like, this is how I want to go. It just means so much to me. I would say it was like a five, like, like a five or six month buildup. And then on 4th of July, I was like, peace out world. I was so excited. I literally gave all my belongings away. I don't, I don't think I, I so mad because I gave every jewelry that I ever loved and all my hair supplies. I just gave them away. But even in that time, I truly didn't understand that that was like a sign of, you know, somebody who's about to exit this world. And nobody knows. They're like, oh, Jules, you're so, why do you always give your stuff away? Like, 
I mean, it became like a thing at the salon because every day I would just bring somebody something. But it was weird because I wasn't doing it because I was not going to have it anymore. I was just like, oh, I know Megan loves this ring. I'm going to go give it to her. And then I was always crying. I like just was so sad. And recently I've talked to my kids about it. I'm very open with them. They're, I don't go too far where like I know it'll hurt them, but it's an open conversation about my past. And it's my older son that is now telling me what it was like for him during that time that was the buildup the stuff that he's telling me that I said I mean I just could I can't believe that I you know was that that kind of mother to them but in that time I went to my exes and I was like the boys need to come live with you I just think it's best I just made up something but it was because I wasn't going to be here and they were like okay well I think you should just like start going to therapy and my life was just chaotic I was just out of control and it was very sad and I was always crying in front of them mm-hmm. older son said that i would just start mumbling stuff like he couldn't understand me but it was so upsetting to him and i was just ugh. anyway so then um i gave my children to the, their dads nobody even noticed like said a word about that they just thought i was um having like an episode of you know mental health crisis which i was but like it's so jumbled because it i wanted somebody to understand and they just everybody kept saying that it was something else like like you need to just get treatment because you were adopted and maybe you just never felt well, you know, like it was never like, I couldn't come out and say what I wanted to say, but then I didn't want to anymore because I was following out what I thought I was going to do. And the boys were really upset at night. This was like the saddest thing at night. My younger two, they were only two and three and I would just rock them. And while they were sound asleep, I'd pick them up and I would just tell them that I was leaving. I love them. I couldn't write them notes. So that was my note to them gave my older two kids they were at that time maybe eight and ten and I went to their house and I delivered these like I mean it's it's so sad to think about it but these little packages of stuff that meant stuff to us my older son we talk about this a lot like I said he has that box and all the little stuff that I gave him next to his bed and I was just like oh my god like what is that six years later and now looking at it it's just it's so it's so sad that like I put them through that. So I'm in that guilt and shame phase right now. Like I'm not going to harp on it and like, I'm not going to let it get me down, but it's so sad. And they knew what was going on the whole time. I guess they just didn't want to say it. Go back to 2015, if you will. Yeah. You're giving stuff away. You're, you're planning. Did you have a specific uh, method in mind? Yeah. I just wanted to jump. So I spent a very long time making this picture album on my phone and I was, I had it, I mean, it took me like a month and it was so perfect in my mind then because it was going to explain like how I felt and I erased the album. Now I was kind of curious to see what I put on there, but it's not necessary for me to go back, but yeah, I was going to jump. So I had a date. It was in August 23rd, I guess for sure. Not, I guess one of my friends, she got, she's very intuitive and she, she must have seen or like heard me like seeing the pain she saw but I couldn't see it I mean I couldn't see it and she invited me to her lake house and I just was so mad because I didn't I wasn't hanging out with anybody oh and I had quit my job I just I never showed up because I was just I didn't care so I just completely walked away from like a seven-year job I walked away because I wasn't, I was planning, I think I was two days out from the day that I was going to do it. I felt free and happy. And like, I mean, you know, all the signs, like you're so happy and that relief. 
Mm-hmm. And then my friend invited me and I did not want to go, but I was just like, oh, fine. Like something total like magical happened there. And I, it was on a lake and I just, I don't know. I just kept, I got a feeling of hope, like just like a warm feeling that came over me and I could not ignore it. And then the next day I went to the hospital. What do you think that was? I just think it was God, like, like the universe, like honestly, just like wrapping me in a warm blanket. It was summer. So it was already hot, but it just was hope. And I just kept hearing that in my mind, like it's going to be okay. You go to the hospital. Is that, that's not the first time you were in a hospital like that, right? When was the first time? The first time was, um, let's see, it means like, I would say 2011. Okay. Was that helpful? No, I got put there because I had just had my son and I, had horrible like postpartum I thought it's so bad it wasn't necessarily that it was definitely the borderline showing itself I didn't know that I had that then and my ex wasn't he wasn't around and I just felt neglected we were living at my parents house in the basement that time I started just having such overwhelming visions of like my kids getting hurt and Mason my son Mason I shared with the therapist that I was having this vision that's like horrible but when you have that women do have visions that are like so awful. And mm-hmm. I shared that with the therapist and they took me to the hospital that day. I didn't care. And I didn't want to be there. I wasn't open to like hearing anything. So yeah. when you go back the second time after the lake, how long do you stay? For 10 days. It was like the best experience that I ever had in my entire life. Like, wow. Yeah. I think that I was just so broken and there was like nothing in me. I was just like, just empty and I felt love there. Like, I, I don't want to be like, I love going to the hospital, but I do like, in a sense, I mean, I haven't gone since, but there's like a warrant, like you're taken care of. And I felt like I was heard there and like, it was just really good. Sounds I actually like, didn't want to leave. Sounds I, like a, a particularly good hospital given what it I It was really awesome. I for, I left something out. I don't know if I should about the buildup that I was living with my friends. I was literally just going from house friends, houses, and this pastor came and he was really young and cool. And I connected with him. I went to his church like one time. And then right before I was about to kill myself, I asked if he could meet me at Starbucks for coffee. I was just, I wanted to know if he committed suicide, would God let me like into heaven or like, would I go to hell? Like I had just mm-hmm. seen Insidious 3 or something that came out. I don't know if that was planted on purpose, but it scared me so bad because I didn't want to go somewhere where I was stuck. I spoke like I was asking for a friend. Again, he had no clue that that was me I was talking about. And I don't remember what he said, but I didn't feel like it would be a damning thing. So I was just like, sweet. I was so excited. So that just gave me encouragement. But then at the same time, I was like, God, I wish he could have heard that. Like I was asking for myself, but I wasn't brave enough. I wasn't brave enough to say anything. And I would always drop little hints or say something. I remember I went to the store next door to my work with my friend. I was like, I don't know if I'm going to make it. Like I need to get help or something. Mm-hmm. And I remember looking at her and be like, Jessica, I don't know if we can say names, but I was just like, honestly don't want to be here. And that was the first time I ever like uttered those words to anybody. Cause I would always act like I'm fine. I still do. It's just a defense mechanism. But at that time, and she was like, well, I can give you a number of my therapist. And I was just like, it wasn't what I wanted to hear. The way in which people who are well-intentioned, presumably engage with us. Yeah. They don't get it awful i actually just experienced that with my husband last night that's why like i'm glad i'm sharing right now because i'm not in a good place and there is a lot of pain inside of me and i think that honestly is when you you can really share like i just feel like that's when you're hurt the most it's just so uncomfortable 
I don't want to sugarcoat anything. Good. I appreciate that. So I want to ask more about post-hospital, what leads up to 2021, which you had another incident, I believe. Before I do that, though, I'm going to ask you a few questions, okay? Sure. How many people in the world who don't work at hospitals know how close you came to killing yourself in 2015? Nobody. And I don't think I did until, honestly, recently, like a couple of years ago, maybe. How many people do you have in the world to talk to in a way that feels okay? At this moment? At this moment. Maybe like two of my friends that I met on the one that's on the podcast. So nobody in my direct circle. I feel like I've tapped out all my resources because of my whole history. And at this point, anyone around me, they judge like, oh, that's a bipolar episode. Like, it's like that. It's not me speaking. They don't see me Mm -hmm. for who I am and what I'm saying. Yeah, there's a thing around mental illness. Oh, well, you're just that thing. It's like, yeah, but you're still not listening. That was literally the quote I said to my husband last night. Like, this isn't an episode. Like, you're not hearing me. Like, that's, I'm not heard. That's the me- so. Here's my take on mental illness, and this would yeah. really upset therapists and doctors. And <laughs> I'm being a little cheeky here. The it's mental okay. fucking illness in our culture is the inability to listen. That's the mental illness. Like, literally, why can you not just open your ears? Like, stop it. Like, look in my eyes. Like. People don't even look at people anymore. Like, it's just so sad. I could go on a rant about mental illness. I know, I know. (laughs) Those are my people and I will rep them to like the day I die because I just have so many experiences and knowledge. If you could design the perfect human being or maybe like a robot who's (laughs) like the best listener in the world, what would they be doing or not doing, saying or not saying when you came to them and you were going through something difficult or even just, you know, a, kind of a, not even just like a bad day, not even something so major. Yeah. Honestly, for me, and probably I can speak for a lot of people. It's just like that feeling of warmth and eye contact. And you don't even have to like, I'm not a touchy feely, So I don't need you to like touch my shoulder or anything, but right. I just need to feel like we're connecting and like, like you're listening Because all of us, everybody struggles, like all, it's not just people that want to die, like everybody does, but we, I think we're just so trained to not want to be uncomfortable. Well said, well said. Yeah. All right. So between 2015 and 2021, you, you're living your life. Yep. I actually went into a recovery house. I thought at that time it was alcohol, though I wasn't even hardly drinking, but Again, like when you're at the hospital, they just give you resources and ways to get better. So I was going into like treatment for alcohol, which still even just saying that I'm kind of like, I get weird because I, that wasn't my problem, but I liked the support that I got. So I went, I lived in a sober house probably for like four years and I didn't have my kids. I lost all my kids permanently, Well, not my fifth one. I lost them completely because my, the three dads thought I was going to harm them, which never even crossed my mind. So I got out of the hospital. They found me a house because you can't get discharged until you have somewhere to go. I didn't have anywhere to go Mm -hmm. again. Like I tapped out all my resources of all my crazy behavior. So I went there and then I think the most devastating thing, and it's kind of interesting because losing your children to me was the ultimate rock bottom. And I couldn't understand. And it took me almost five years to understand why that happened. And I'm okay with it now. Now they come like I, 
I could have them on the weekends and stuff. And we're so close. Like my relationship with them is like, it's a distant memory of the pain is so real that I couldn't mother them anymore. And it took me so long, but I had to heal from that and accept it. Like mm-hmm. I couldn't keep saying to myself, you lost your children. I didn't because we're having an amazing, amazing relationship. So then I met my husband and we had our baby about she's four. So life got so good. And I honestly wasn't suicidal or, I mean, I was, I was compliant to my medication and which I still am and everything got bad. So then we got a house. I got everything I ever wanted back. My kids, like relationships. I got my house. Like life was so good. But inside, I, oh my gosh, it was just uncomfortable the past like three years. I think because I grew up so materialistic, I was, it's just like a F you. Like I don't, I don't need those things to feel happy. So again, the past couple years, my needs have not been met, but I didn't know till recently how important that is for my like recovery and success to be a human that I want to be and the person I want to be. What Um, happened in 2021? So it was not that long ago. My husband left. I have like mastered like sad girl and I, I have playlists and songs because I still like to be sad. It's my comfort. And that's kind of where I am right now. And it's, I, I can do well in chaos. I mean, not really, but that's, it just gives me a drive. I get stuff done, but I know that that's not healthy and I want to set myself free, you know, in a healthy way. So just a couple of weeks ago, it was probably like two months, a month ago. Now my, I've not had an attempt or even wanted to, but something came over me. It was very impulsive and it was, it's pretty terrifying, right? Like to even think about it. I barricaded my room. I got my dog's leash. I wrote, oh my God, I wrote everybody a note. There, It was on my phone, paper. I just want to add, I was about to get my period. So I was in that, you know, horrible episode. So it was the next day I got it. Mm. And I didn't know that that was why it's happening. Because for me, when I get in that mindset and that impulsivity, nothing matters around me. Like nothing. I don't care about anything. I can detach like, you know, snap of a finger. Everybody's better without me. Like I need to escape, but like this, this was so intense and it was really sad. And then I put a note on my door. My husband's gone, but I had two of my kids there and I wrote a note saying, don't, well, they wouldn't have been able to get in the room because I put the dresser and stuff there, but um, call 911. Uh, I forgot what I wrote, but I taped it on the wall. Basically, like, I love you to call 911. I think that's exactly what it was. But I had taken like a couple Tylenol PM, which I didn't remember taking. And I tried to call the suicide hotline. There was like, our wait time is, you know, so I didn't get through. But then I forgot that you could text 741 741, but I didn't care because I was like, oh, that's a good sign. Like, <laughs> they didn't answer their phone. And I was very rageful. I was angry. And then I put the leash around. I'm fixated on like this idea and like of just that was my plan. And it still is in my mind. I don't know why. I have no desire to jump anymore. Like I've, I can change my plans and it becomes a fantasy, but this went too far. And I was like, I just want to see if I pass out. You know, I didn't pass out and I woke up like on the floor with the leash and the room barricaded. And thank God my kids did not come to the door to see the note. Um, it's just sad because I was going to just, you know, be like, all right, well, you guys, like, this is what you have to deal with, like a four and 11 year old. The next morning, I was like, oh my God, it was as if like, I wasn't that person. I couldn't believe that I was sitting there and like, I mean, I'm not minimizing the situation because 
it's like traumatic. And I was like, holy crap, like this is so bad, so bad. And I like threw all the notes away and took the thing off the wall. I mean, the door. And I was like, all right, Jules, like, you're fine, you're fine. And then I was like, hey guys, what do you want for breakfast? And I went on that whole day as if nothing ever happened. And that's kind of the pattern for a lot of my, like the pain that I go through. Like, okay, like, let's go. Do you guys want to go to the playground? Like just so normal. But then something changed in this episode and I couldn't shake it all day. And I had to talk to someone about it. So I called the hotline again and I got through <laughs> and it was pretty amazing. I don't know. I just felt like the way the guy was talking to me, I just felt like, oh, it is going to be okay. But I couldn't shake how impulsive this action was that even today is like really scary. And then I had one more episode of self-harm like a couple, like two weeks ago. And it's just getting worse. And that's why I want, I have to talk about it because like each episode or, you know, relapse of hurting yourself is just so much worse than the last one. And it's pretty embarrassing. Like I've, I don't, I've never cut myself this bad. And it was again, another rageful, impulsive, nobody's around. Nobody's, my husband's gone. Like, like I'm just feeling alone. And honestly, I'm not going to say I'm, I was wallowing in pity because I, it's not like that. Like something needs to be um, healed inside of me. It scared me these past two. And I'm sitting with that today. Like, who do you, I can't even talk to anyone. I mean, I could go to the hospital. So I tried and my husband's like, we can't afford for you to go. I was like, I need to go to the hospital. Like something's so wrong with me. Mm. And he didn't support me. Yeah. At all. And then last night I tried to talk to him about it and he was just like, I, I can't hear this. Like, it's so sad. I don't want to talk about it. And he, and then he turned it into anger. Like you treat me horrible. Like what I, how I treat him. And I know it's horrible. I mean, I've hurt so many people and I think shame is like the leading the forefront right now but I know that like I know I have shame but I cannot like follow that and be like yeah you're right like the world hates me you know I don't want to be stuck in this pattern of like like just sadness because I am great and I love helping people and I oh my gosh I would love to hear somebody else (laughs) I don't want to talk about myself all the time but I am lately Get out of your head. This might not be the best timing of this question, but this is when okay. we're talking. So I'm going to ask, what's the likelihood that you're going to end your life at some point? I would say pretty likely if I don't like make a change soon. What like, kind of change are we talking about? Recovery and just self-worth, like really loving myself again. There's somebody who's really similar to you who's hearing this. What could you say to them? That's a tough one. I know. Yeah, I know. Actually, I was thinking about that today. There's a Julie yeah. out there, right? Yeah. Um, I would say like the happy me is just you're not alone. Like stay another day. There is hope because there is. But then when I get sad or I just feel empty and lonely, I'm like, I get it. And I have nothing to say. But if a coworker was around me, I would I mean, I would honestly just hug them and I don't need to tell my stuff, but I would just listen. I mean, that's it. This has come up a couple of times in our conversation, even though I didn't call it a myth. It sort of came up. You talk about listening or other things, but is there anything else around the idea of what's simply like not true or myths that you want to talk about? Yeah. I just think that when somebody is very suicidal and they're just having these ideations, it's not always directly connected to mental health. Like, they can be separate. Sometimes I wish that if somebody didn't know your diagnosis or everybody wants to diagnose you anyway, and I hate labels and I'm working on that right now. Like I don't need to label myself. This is just what's happening right now. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people I'm noticing and just, just gathering facts, their mind can't process that. Like 
why would that person like want to like actually harm themselves? They're so sick. And, but you know, it's not, it's just, and it's not even, we don't want necessarily to die. Like that's a tricky one. Cause sometimes you do, but I think mm-hmm. if just being heard and the myth, it's not selfish. Honestly, I've been hearing that so much. I don't know why it's coming up. People talk about stuff like this at my work. I never say a word. Nobody knows my life. And everybody I know, like everyone says is selfish. And I just like, don't understand that at all. Like, why would you want to leave your kids? And but it's not like that when you're in it, when you truly think that you don't belong in the world. You're just so sorry that you hurt everyone. And, you know, mm-hmm. just myths. There's so many. It's not fair. I know. People don't like the word like dying and people definitely don't like to say suicide. Like that is the big suicide, like whisper it or, you know, like, I mean, just yeah. different words, just freaking yeah. say it. It's real. So, wow. Um, What else do you want to share? I think like a part of me, I know there is like sunshine in me and it's going to be coming out. And, but like when someone's just in pain, like people can tell, even if the little kid on the playground is like, you know, head down. Like I just go over to them and like, Hey, do you want to come play with my daughter? Like just, I wish people, cause we're all connected. Everybody is. And I know like if somebody did take their life, it is kind of breaking the chain of like everybody being connected and having our purpose. If you really are so sad and depleted and empty, just talking. I've, I really like that hotline. Like it really helped me a lot. Just getting something out and that person giving you advice is like, oh my gosh, okay. And just like baby steps, like, like stop talking to yourself so mean. This is what I'm working on right now. Like I wouldn't talk to my best friend the way that I talk to myself. <laughs> I wouldn't even talk to anyone that way. So mm-hmm. it's just, work. that's a good step. Like just like work on the self-hate. Like that can be very overwhelming and just learn to talk to yourself like a friend and everything's temporary. It, it nothing, this, these feelings aren't permanent. Like there is joy and freedom and peace. It's just how hard do you want to work to get it? Cause mm-hmm. it's really hard. It's so much easier to be sad and like lonely and dream about dying than actually being uncomfortable and talking. Like it is so it's just, you got to step into that, like uncomfortable. I mean, if you want to be free, not everybody does. True. Yeah. But um, there's always a little tug of like, oh yeah, I really, I want to help people. So like, I need to get better so I can, you know, be at service for somebody else or, and lastly, I was going to say for me, when I get like this, it's so hard to leave your house or like even talk or like be in the world. But I feel so much better when I help somebody else. Like, oh, I haven't talked to my friend, like Jen, let me call her and see how she's doing. You know, just get out of yourself. It can be a like scary place. And when you help somebody, it's really, and like, it's a positive action. It's hard to feel negative in that, in that moment. It's hard to get there. I understand that. Number one, I'm super glad we connected and you talked with me from your car to, I I like your tattoos. Oh, thank you. I even have my dog next to me. I take her everywhere. Oh, three of a dog Four. I'm, <laughs> I'm glad for your family that you're still here with us. Yeah. And I'm, other people in your life, you know, presumably I can't be yeah. sure that that exists, but I'm, I'm assuming from what you shared, there are people <laughs> in your life that they want there, yes. and um, yeah, it'll get better. It always does. Thanks. Oh my you. gosh. Thank you. I feel like Maryland. Thank oh, you. You are awesome. I hope your days, I don't even, I never know how to end this other than just, I hope you stay well and feel well. Oh, I'm going to be well. I feel this is all part of healing just talking all right have a good day julie oh you too bye bye
As always, thanks so much for listening and all of your support. And special thanks to Jules in Maryland. Thank you, Jules. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to share your story, I would love to talk. Please reach out. Hello at SuicideNoted.com or on Facebook or Twitter at Suicide Noted. And show us some love on those social media platforms by liking the page or liking our posts or retweeting what we share. It really helps spread the word. Thank you very much for that. That is all for episode number 79. Stay strong. Do the very best you can. I'll talk to you soon.